We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oscar Robertson, Leos Indoor. What a year that has been. The Bucks are the world champions. Ray Allen driving past Armstrong. The jam over to Grady. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton. Happy birthday, Jason Kidd. This place is up for grabs. Has the foul and a pinnacle ball throws it down. Step back three for the top. Got it. Got it. Giannis ties the game and becomes the Bucks' all-time leading scorer on one stroke. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. We're gonna play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. How many games? Six. We're gonna be, we're gonna win the six. Hello and welcome to episode 364 of the Win and Six podcast. Proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, some things change, some things stay the same. It's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Hello. 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 Jordan, we're very close to six years now doing this podcast, which is pretty wild to think about. Six years is a long time. And our intro has been exactly the same from episode one, when our audio quality and our podcasting abilities were certainly not up to scratch. Currently offline, that episode, along with a whole bunch of others, I need to get back online. Uh, our pre-GSPN archive is offline at the moment, but I'll, I'll get it sorted. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, it's been the same. I mean, our listeners, maybe they've been able to relax too much. Maybe they've been able to just zone out and be like, as much as it's it's something people have often remarked over the years, how much they've enjoyed it, maybe it became a little bit too comfortable. And I can think of many moments over the years, uh, Yance's dunk over Tim Hardaway being one example where there was a clamor from the listeners being like, you got to update the intro. That's got to go in there. And then another little thing happened where the Milwaukee Bucks won a world championship. And people were like, you've got to update the intro. And I every time I was like, mm, nah, I'm not doing it. And part of that was I was not sure if I had the original session file to go in and edit it. And I was like, oh, what if I have to find these clips? And it's, 
I found the session file. And what inspired me to find it is Giannis became the book's all-time leading scorer last week and a great call from Kevin Harlan. And I hope you're paying attention. Maybe I'm going to surprise some people and they didn't actually notice. But we have a new intro. So, Jordan, what are your thoughts? How do you feel about the fact that we've got a new sound to set us off and win in six after all these years? It's like Bob Dylan breaking out that electric guitar. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Times they are changing. Times are changing. We almost have a win in six for every day of the year. You know? We're very close. Yeah, we're very close. Uh, Leap year not included yet. Um yeah, a lot of th- a lot of things have happened since uh, this little podcast was born. Um, some big things, <laughs> uh, things that would never that we thought would never be possible have happened, um, and we have updated accordingly. But with that, we have to make it. There were some hard decisions. There were as... tough, tough cuts. Yes. So the thing about the intro, the as the years have gone on, as the books have got better. The intro has actually got weirder and weirder. The fact that this is how our episodes start. And that for a lot of people, that would have been an impetus to make the change much sooner. But for Jordan and I, that was a point of pride. and We felt like it was perfectly in keeping with the win and six spirit. So some truly strange, bizarre calls. I'm sure some plays that were big at the time that a lot of people either don't remember or they're new books fans who have never had the need to go back and be like, what was that? What was that Yanis Dunk over Cole Aldrich really like? Uh, but we remember, Jordan, the streets remember. And on this particular episode to start us off, we are, we're going to do some memorializing because some people have, some people have been lost to win a six. They're not forgotten. Um, they're going to uh, a farm upstate where they'll, they'll live happy, happy lives as audio clips for the remainder of their days. Any anywhere in particular you want to start out? I mean, there's there's three cuts, I believe. Um, and is it three? Yeah, there were three. So I'll I'll run through them. Yeah, yeah, let's run them. Um, what was the worst clip of the bunch from <laughs> from day one? I could not find when I started to do this. This is a reflection, I guess, of what's available on YouTube from that era. Also, maybe on just the style of play for this particular player, who was a great player, but not necessarily the flashiest. To get a Sidney Moncrief, like, call. I know I'm not talking about him on, on the broadcast. We'll get to that in a moment. But a call from his playing days that was really iconic was basically impossible. But when I first put it together, I was like, particularly at that point, remember this is pre-Yanis being Yanis now, we can't have a books podcast as an intro that doesn't mention Sidney on Creef. So there was a really nondescript Sid call in there just to get him a mention. It hurt me to take him out because, you know, I still feel like he should be there, but it, that was the first cut. Had to go. An easy one. Next, there was the aforementioned Giannis Dunk against the Knicks from early in his career. A great Jim Paschke call. Um, fortunately not the only Jim Paschke call and another has survived because there's no way that we would have been taking Jim out of the, the intro um, but just one of the absolute strangest years later out of context moments it did hurt me to remove this one because it's so bizarre but 
Giannis dunks, Jim breaks out, Cole Aldrich can only watch, and Sid and in what was the real kicker. And I, I'll be honest, I tried to just have that particular sound by remain out of context and it was too weird i couldn't find a place to put it where a man just exclaiming holy moly didn't sound completely insane holy moly so that was a tough cut i love cole aldridge can only watch i love holy moly that one had to go the other one was up top jared bayless got a clean catch milwaukee wins it it was game Four. Four, was it? Okay, I was going to say game three. Game four against the Chicago Bulls in the 2015 playoffs, the first round. Um, That had happened a matter of like one, two weeks before we started the podcast because we started just before um, the 2015 draft. Oh, well, more than that. The books, the books playoff journey ended a lot earlier then than it does now. But that was our last, one of our last memories of the books. Um, from that season heading into the beginning of winning six, a great call and something that at that time feel felt like a real kind of sea change moment, something that for kind of the spirit of the fan base, I know we've talked about since it was, it was an awakening of sorts uh, as much as we won't talk about how game six in that series went. (laughs) It was, it was an awakening at that time when Bayless did that. And it's a good call, but now we've got we've got a lot better things to include than a game four winner in the first round in a series that the books lost in six and lost game six by in the region of 60 points. <laughs> so some changes were made, but we're not going to forget them. No. Any of those that are particularly heartbreaking for you to say goodbye to? There's just no clip like the Cole Aldrich one. It's spectacular. It's it's of a time in Bucks history. Obviously, same season as the Bayless game winner. So it's like you're capturing, you know, early Giannis moments. That team for what you know, overperforming expectations, 26 win improvement from the year before. Like that is kind of like anomaly in Bucks history. Or NBA history, I should say. Um, but yeah, there's just nothing that comes close to matching the Cole, which can only watch, and then City by Creep, who only did color commentary for two years. Yeah, but like full time, I think he was on in a couple years. Like, we'll remember like, forever. It felt like many more years for yeah. good and for bad. Um, Even I was not watching every books game then, but I was from from times where I would be watching books games. Sidney Moncrief's commentary would stand out, and I I certainly remembered him and was well aware of who the books color commentator was at the time. So, yeah, I mean, the only other option, one of the, I didn't want to get rid of Ray Allen's dunk over Tracy McGrady. I think it's nice to have something from that era. Great play, great call, big playoff moment. The only other contender that could have been cut to spare Cole Aldrich and Holy Moly was Chris Middleton's game winner and the following happy birthday, Jason Kidd, this place is up for grabs. But that one, that clip is completely insane. One of the craziest <laughs> costume Paschke has ever made. It's not I'm even sure. touching on 
Johnny Mac's like Oh, I gotta get there. Okay. Um but that's why it survives because one, it gives us a great crisp play. And uh, I think crisp belongs in the intro. Two, it ensures we still have a really like dialed up to eleven Pashki call. Maybe maybe the most dialed up to eleven he ever he ever had for a books game. And there's just the full range of classic John McLaughlin noises. So maybe maybe we've lost uh, Sydney Moncrief's color commentary highlight, but we've preserved the essence of what John McLaughlin as a color commentator, particularly in his later years mm-hmm. um, on books broadcasts, was like. So that was the only the only other option. And to wrap up this very very inside baseball. Um, although I think our listeners will care. It's a big change, Jordan. It's, you know, long-time listeners. They've only known it one way and now it's another way. It's We don't want to pull the rug out from under their feet and just brush past it. Yeah. So the, the tree additions for me, I believe it's tree, um, are undeniable. We could have gone for different variations of the calls, but I think the, the plays anyway, undeniable. So we have... The steal into the valley oop, Mike Breen's call on that. We have Ted Davis calling the moment the books won the championship, their second championship in franchise history. And we have Kevin Harlan's call on Yanis's three pointer from last week to send the game to overtime against the Nets and break Kareem Dolgebar's all time book scoring record. I don't think there'll be complaints on what's being added. I just hope people approve of the choices we made. We got tweets. People are like, "No, no, don't remove anything. Just add to it." No, oh, no. We tried. Would, Jordan, yeah. Jordan heard a cut that was longer. It doesn't work. The flow it's... is terrible. It all of a sudden it goes from something that I've been really happy with for years that is good. If you give it thirty seconds more, doesn't work in this case. It's like a Red Hot Chili Peppers album <laughs> that comes out, and it's like there's like five to five not, too many. Songs not to like trash that. Stadium Arcadium, but it, it was like a double album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, gotta keep wet sand get rid of a whatever ridiculous song title traverse city michigan or whatever i don't know so that's our new intro uh, i hope you all like it get at us on twitter at winning six podcast at adam 11 at jordan tresky if you have any thoughts any outrage over you know cole aldrich no longer being part i look i understand i'm i'm sad the too world it's it's a cold world and we just had to we had to make room for i think three clips that are undeniably you know they have to be there so that is that is that part of housekeeping i mentioned inside baseball a couple of moments ago jordan oh, no. uh, <laughs> speaking of baseball you talking may have baseball sure talking baseball you may have noticed you may have heard um we announced yesterday the launch of a new Eurostep podcast network podcast and that is cruising for a bruising a milwaukee brewers podcast hosted by our good friend many time winning six guest andrew snyder i'm there as a co-host of sorts i guess um just like an animate object he can he can talk against is, is going to be my role early on and we're going to grow from there uh, but the first episode of the show is up. It's on its own feed, cruising for a bruising on podcast platforms everywhere. It has its own Twitter at Brewers GSPN. 
please, 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 if you're remotely interested in the Brewers, remotely interested in baseball, or if you'd just like to maybe give the Brewers or baseball a try this season, because that is very much what I'm doing, go subscribe, follow. The first episode is also on this feed as a sample, but to hear the episodes going forward, you will need to subscribe or you'll need to go and follow um, on Twitter to make sure you get all of our tweets there. So, yeah, that's new. If you haven't heard any of that yet, if you skipped over it, I'm on to you, right? I'm, I'm on to you, and you're going you're gonna to have a brief listen here to what it's all about. Here's a trailer for Cruising for a Bruising. Cruising for a Bruising is a new podcast from the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcasts, focusing on all things Milwaukee Brewers. I'm Andrew Snyder, a lifelong baseball fanatic, and I'll be your host. And I'm Adam McGee, a baseball rookie who'll be learning from Andrew as the season goes on. Join us on our journey as we talk through what's sure to be an exciting season of Brewers baseball. I fell in love with Brewers baseball when I got my first taste in last season's playoffs. I can't wait to follow them as they look to go better this year. And to get the answers to my countless baseball questions from Andrew throughout the season. Subscribe to Cruising for a Bruising on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you never miss an episode. And follow us on Twitter at BrewersGSPN, at AdamMcGee11, and at ACSnide. Go Brewers! All right, Jordan, cruising for a bruising. Are you excited? The people want to know. I've, heard, I've already heard, you know, the rumblings. When is Jordan going to be on? Will Jordan be on? You will be joining us at some point over the course of the season, right? I am. I will. I'm tailgating. I'm just always in the parking lot. You know, just kind of like I'm ready. I, I, that was a bad metaphor. I'm in the bullpen. That would probably be more. You just got to warm up the arm. Is it a high leverage situation is a low leverage situation are you just am i just getting innings what am i doing but that's what's your go-to pitch jordan two seamer having podcasts with you for years i don't have you down as like a fastball kind of guy no my other pitch though you're this is more of my okay right circle change great i've no idea what that is so (laughs) Let me unpack that with Andrew later. Um, I, I hope you'll tune in and give it a chance. It is going to be Andrew, who is very much just like a baseball nut. Um, he's going to be all in on all things Brewers this year. So he's going to bring a lot of the hard-hitting analysis and insight. And I'm going to be just the eyes watching the game and reacting to things he says. And with that, I, I do think the dynamic is going to be pretty fun. Um, there are a lot of things that I do not know and will probably be greatly amusing to people who do know when I have them explained to me. You and still not know what a Bach is? What a what? A Bach. No, no idea. Good. Do you want me to, will I bring that up on the next episode? Um, or will we wait for it to naturally to occur? Is that going to be? See, it's like rare enough that it would be a while for it to happen. But when it does happen, you, I know you'll be like very like, what the hell just? Happened? Oh, okay, okay. I'll try to avoid all knowledge of it, um, until it happens, and we'll we'll have that moment. All right, all of that out of the way. Big things happening at GSPN. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's start talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. And we've had some Bucks news. Um, We're not so much even going to just focus in on recent games. Obviously, we talked a lot about that on our crossover episode, Jordan dashed home from work having not seen history be made and had to had to through gritted teeth um talk through and digest Giannis's record-breaking moment but we're not going to focus as much on the book's play on the court or the playoff picture or all of the stuff that's been our focus in recent weeks and is going to continue to be over these final few games of the regular season and into the playoffs because the books made a signing Jordan was not expecting this. I think I was. you were. Yeah, last week of the season, the Elijah Bryant special. Uh, you say that as if they have done that more than once. They did last year. They did who? There was another year that they had. It might. Hmm. might have. Someone heard related might have got a deal at some point. Munford? Did Munford get a. They probably didn't do something like this late. Because like, pot, like the buyout, it's not, yeah, it's very late. Well, what we'd, we'd speculated about not that long ago is maybe if they decided to put this open roster spot to use, it would be to give Mamu a real deal. And they haven't done that. They have brought in Luca Bulldoza, a uh, guard, an Argentinian national team guard who has been part of the Argentina squad and their last few um, major tournaments. He played for them in the Olympics where they, I think fair to say underachieved um, last year. He was part of what was a silver medal winning team though, I believe at the world cup in 2019, yes. the, yeah. the Chris and Brooke disastrous team USA world cup. And um, Luca Vildoza came home with a silver medal for Argentina from that. 
And he is a guy who has been very kind of steadily impressive in Europe, playing for Basconia in Spain in recent years. And he was given the opportunity to come over to the NBA, um, got a contract with the New York Knicks, but was dealing with a not insignificant foot injury, I believe, that ultimately meant he was waived there, didn't take hold. And he is now at the point of coming through the other side of that foot injury. And the Bucks have obviously decided they want a closer look. So to be more specific on this, um, this is just very much the kind of flyer that is smart to take. I mean, I don't think at this time of year he's going to be too much of a factor this season. Maybe we'll be proven wrong. But the deal is that he's under contract true to the end of the 2022-23 season. I don't know have we seen anything on... I'm going to guess that's probably non-guaranteed or partial guarantee, maybe. But I'm assuming that's not a fully guaranteed deal. I would assume not either. Um, he hasn't officially signed yet. And I think in Woj's thing or... Yeah, to expect it to finalize a deal was the word. Yeah, so we probably won't know for a couple of days even at that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was like how Elijah Bryant's deal was last year or even the um, uh, Mamadi Diakite's kind of like partial guarantees or whatever the case may be. Um, also important to note, same agent as Giannis and Thanasis, Alex Saratsis. Um. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that like I, I know we went through that with uh, all the Jeff Schwartz clients, including at one time I don't know if he still is. Uh, Chris Milton was. Um. Yeah, but that also it felt like it was monopolizing the Bucks rather than <laughs> oh, it's a fifteenth roster spot and we're less than a week out from the other season. He's healthy. He has. Some, you know, obviously he's a quality basketball player in some regard, whether he's an NBA player, that's tough to judge, but he hasn't gotten a fair shot yet at it. Um, yeah, that's, I, I, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, do we expect him to play this year? No, we're not like Elijah Brown played playoff minutes, but that was also because the Bucks bench during last year's playoff run was, as we talked about, very thin. <laughs> um, this year, not so much the case, but an interesting flyer nonetheless. Um, did you mention he was a MVP? Did we say that? I didn't. I didn't. I mean, do you want to? Do you want to use that to you? Is that what you want to refer to him as? I feel. Hey, he was a fi- got- like one. He was a Finals MVP. Okay, he was a Finals MVP. I thought he was a League MVP too. No. Oh, he was Finals, finals MVP. MVP. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um. Of the the Spanish, the ACB league, which is like it's a top tier yes. league. I mean, the MVPs either side of him are, you know, Nikola Miritich, not to not to bring that up, and uh, Faku Campazo before that. So NBA Rudy guys, and you go back, Rudy Fernandez. Uh, I am first, not uh... familiar with Bojan Dubievich, so I don't think so. Anyway. First um, MVP of finals, ACB finals, uh, MVP award winners. His name was Corny Thompson. Corny. Yeah, I, I saw that too. 
Um, and I had to make sure that wasn't the most recent. I was like, okay, that's the start, right? Because if Courtney Thompson had won one since, then I'd really be down playing it. No, look, it's anytime someone's a finals MVP, it's it's no small feat. You're delivering at a moment where your team really needs to and the stakes are highest. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't overstate it. Uh, I got a little distracted there because of Milwaukee Brewers news, which is not something that I've ever said on the podcast before. 2022 is a hell of a year. Right? Pedro Severino, he suspended 80 games, Jordan, for a positive test for Clomiphy. So, Putting the PED in Pedro. I'm, I'm truly in the baseball world now. Um, what, what have you thought? Have you had a chance to watch any, watch any tape on Luca Vildoza to get a sense of what his game is like. And when I say watch tape, that's that's really shorthand in this kind of scenario for watch some videos on YouTube. Yeah, but I like to make it some more important than what it is. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have seen bits and pieces. I should also note, he was signed by the Knicks late in last, uh, last season. So it was, that was their equivalent of like the Elijah Bryant special. Um, so he has, this is his kind of second go around and kind of latching onto an NBA team and hoping it kind of sticks, but I know he, I believe he's like six, five plays point guard kind of has some interesting ball handling skills can shoot it improved as a shooter over the years. Um, kind of like a guy, like I know we've talked about before, but you know, I, well, we talked about when they signed him, not necessarily the Bucks, it was more the herd. Um, that spot was right. That was Tyreek Evans, if it worked out. Mm, I There's someone who I wasn't thinking about because I'd kind of forgotten about it. And when I was watching highlights, I immediately got the vibe of a certain player. Like, I, I thought very distinctively his style looks a little like Goran Dragic, like a younger Goran Dragic. Mm. Uh, head, very much head up offensive playmaker, like looks to be quite aggressive and probing, but always looking to make a, a pretty forceful play, which um, I would guess in an NBA setting could lead to plenty of turnovers and could also lead to some very, very exciting and memorable highlights. But there is something about the way he was carrying himself for Amicia. I was like, oh, this is kind of like Goran Dragic maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, and that then when once that clicked with me, I went, that's a little bit interesting considering we know, or well, I know you were a little bit more skeptical than most about just also, exactly what way. Go on. They dodged a bullet because Goran Dragic looks... I, I agree, but also... Does he look better on the books than he would on the nets? I think is a valid question. He just, I don't think, it, I don't know. I thought it would be at least like, oh, he is slow playing Raptors. He doesn't want to be there. Played, I think, only five games, which, you know, you have bad shooting nights that's going to like monopolize your averages and stuff like that. But I just think, I think it's kind of done for old Goran. Um, no, that's actually an interesting point, though. They, This is the kind of prototype or position or whatever case may be. Archetype. There we go. Um, that 
you and I have kind of like said like, oh, if they need <laughs> they've always avoided drafting a point guard in the draft when they've had a draft pick to use. <laughs> um and you know, they obviously have invested in guys like Mamadi Diakite in the past, uh Sandman on a two-way. Um interesting players and obviously you know how they fit or fit or fitted around the bucks and stuff like that and can they develop along the way but like you still kind of need something of like can they have a you know third point guard that isn't just george hill or whatever the case may be um i don't know that that'll be interesting but it's tough to tell the, the thing too is that we're waiting on the contract so it's like is it just basically hey it's a favor. We'll see what he does. I guess I guess partial guarantee because he is a real player who could go. Yeah. And so to get him over, you're probably going to have to pay him something. No, it's real. Um, although he's obviously someone who was looking for an NBA opportunity and it fell true on him before. So the chance to do that and the chance to come and do that with the NBA champions. And let's not also forget, like he could just sit on the bench. Or he might get two minutes in some game here or there. He could get a ring. Like that's... That's the thing with coming in this late in the season. He could get it. If Jeff Teague, like, coming in late, was, like, um, getting an A on the group project, well, Luca Vildoza could really be, you know, doing very little work. Less work, less work than Jeff Teague. There'd be some side-eye from some other guys if Vildoza comes in and gets himself a ring. Um, I, I think he, he seems kind of interesting. I, I don't... I don't have um, the knowledge or I haven't seen enough footage, particularly with the kind of stuff that you're going to see when this news broke last night and we're podcasting this morning that I, I don't really know enough about his defense from what I've read. He's a kind of solid team defender, um, but certainly doesn't, doesn't seem like someone even just in terms of his physical attributes, who's going to be a lockdown defender. So you're going to have certain situations, certain lineups that he's going to work in. And then if there's ever a point where he does find himself playing real NBA minutes, like can he hang is it's different in the NBA. If you're not the best defender and teams are going to kind of single you out and look to pick on you, that could become a problem in a hurry, but it's, it's a fun flyer. Who doesn't like some South American flair and creativity added to the mix too. It's not the kind of player the books have really had. I was even trying to think as a point guard, like someone who just is it, is it like Brandon Jennings, the last Bucks point guard who would maybe view the game or try to play it in a similar way, a kind of a, a creative, certainly offensive Flashy. first way. Mm. They've like they've really you think Delhi, MCW, Bledsoe, Drew, George Hill, obviously in that mix, Brogdon playing some point, like they they very much moved away from that type of point card. Um, yeah. Not just for the Bud era, but for the kid era too. That really Hammond. wasn't. Yeah. Dude, I mean, because there's that anecdote from a Kevin Arnovitz story. Oh, 2016, 2017. Talking about how they got blown off the doors by the Thunder and they look at all the players of the Thunder and it's super athletic, long guys that encompass like their whole starting five and they were like that's what we want that's the kind of you know lineup look that we want to go after um Hammond was maybe maybe took that 
to an extreme <laughs> as Hammond does, but yeah, they Brandon Jennings is the last point guard like that for sure. Also played in Europe before he came to the NBA too. So yeah, that's that's actually I hadn't thought about that in quite a while. That's a good point. Um, yeah, look, we'll see. We'll see what he uh, what he ends up being. Maybe they sign him soon. There could be some run for him over the next kind of week or so. That also depends. Though. I don't know where he's at. Like, is he fully recovered from his injury, as in rehab complete, up to game speed, good to go? Probably not. Like, do we pro- know what his foot injury specifically was? Because that was news to me. I th- I forgot that he had um, or that was a refresher. I forgot that he had like a foot injury. It was I, I feel like cut. he broke his foot, but I could be wrong on that. But that was that was what was in my head. But um, let's see. Nothing so he, from... he reported to Nick's camp um, with a right foot injury. No, it wasn't a break. Revealed fluid at the back of his right foot. Oh. Um, didn't have to have surgery, but was advised to rest and get treatment. So that's a little unusual, and obviously took him quite a bit of time then um, to work that one out. But yeah, that's... that's He showed up at Nick's camp. That's what was kind of bothering him and discovered, and then ultimately he was cut from there. And has been on the shelf since. So look, we'll see. Um, looks like he could be a fun player, like in late in game scenarios, as in late in games where the game is over. But whether he could be more than that, we'll see. Given the, books... the next, go on. Sorry, probably the first time we'll see him play. I mean, who knows if he plays over the next week or so, um, if he's in uniform. But we'll maybe international competition this summer for Argentina, possibly. Um, Possibly. I don't know. Interesting fire, nonetheless. Okay, moving on. Other books news in recent days. Um, less of the moment, more of the past. The Hall of Fame inductees for this year were announced at the weekend. Unfortunately, the wait is continuing for Marcus Johnson. Maybe we'll start there because that's the figure that all books fans are most familiar with due to his broadcast work. I, I feel this is a really tough one that's going to be just year in, year out heartbreak for quite some time. Um, I really, I think we've talked about before, I don't know if Marcus gets in. Maybe the right year comes along and it happens. Or maybe... I think he gets in. I think it's as... A contributor. Is... Yeah. It's, where it's, it's factoring separate... in his, yeah, his broadcasting work, which at this point is long and decorated, like from his work on Sonic's broadcasts, um, to now having a very successful stint and not a short stint either with the books at this point. And I think we'd all hope it continues for many more years. My God, we feel his absence when he's not on the broadcast. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, I would love his, to see uh, him get in. His, his resume is, is one, it's, it's one of those that it's, uh, it's really close. Like it's really, it's on the borderline and he has the college resume to move you just that little bit closer and you're like yeah i think five time all-star off the top of my head and two all nba first teams i hope i've got that right i should really look it up rather than just throw things out there um but he is he is someone who 
was a defining player of that era. It just happens that it was something of an in-between era in the NBA. It was also an in-between era for the books. I mean, he kickstarted what was a very successful decade, but as yes. that team reached its pinnacle, he was no longer really with them. Um, or even he, his powers had waned slightly. Five-time All-Star, one All-NBA first team, two All-NBA second team. Um, NBA Comeback Player of the Year when that was a thing, because I don't believe that's not a thing anymore. Or that's morphed into Improved Player of the Year? Either way. They're kind of different. You could you could probably still have that for guys who've had <laughs> injuries and everything. I don't know why they wouldn't. Yeah. Um, NCAA um, champion. Like, I mean, very important rookie for a guy who didn't win an NBA championship. An elite scorer. Like, he has good numbers. It's just, it's one of those where it's it's close. And yeah, your point is maybe a really valid one that at the moment he's still being, his case is being considered purely as a player um which well, it was like goes up against Manu Ginobili for example then that's that's a tricky one um where the broader picture and we'll get on to someone who probably should have got in otherwise but did get in as a contributor this year in a moment maybe that is the way in which like you get in the hall of fame for whatever you've done if you're getting into the hall of fame as a contributor to the game of basketball that's going to feel great and you're going to have no problem with that. Um, but for someone who is a player and a star player in his time, I do think it would be nice to go in as a player and going in as a player, you really, you get, the you're full, selected you get the full treatment. That, you get the, yeah. you get the works in terms of your uh, enshrinement and th- your speech and everything is just going to get a little bit more shine. It's going to matter a bit more. Uh, I would really like for him to get that in the same way that, uh, City Moncrief got that a few years ago now. We've obviously seen Ray Allen as as another former book get it in recent years. I, I think it would be great if Marcus could get that. He just seems like someone he's going to be like a finalist every year at the moment. Um, I don't know who next year, thinking from retired guys. Maybe I'm there's a, that too. Maybe there's I a think... chance next year. Are we getting into Dirk? Because they lowered the the years now. So that might have been like Dirk. Um, well, I think it would be Dirk anyway. Is it not Dirk's time? Wade? Yeah, that sounds right. So there's two guys. So then so that's not that easy. Headline by these. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, it's. And it's this, just, this is probably actually, this would have been a good year for that, where the chance increases. That was um, what I was thinking. But then Ginobili is such a, like his all around case is like few other players because. He's got the championships to show where maybe some areas in his, in his stats will fall short. And he, yeah, and he's got the Argent, the Argentina exploits and even his playing Europe. Like he's got one of the most well-rounded basketball Hall of Fame cases you could possibly have, even though he's not just purely on NBA terms, like gonna be, oh, that's one of the very kind of top, top players who's ever played in the league. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is I mean. You can only bang the drum as loud as you can where it's like, it's not just Marcus being a, you know, play for the U or play for UCLA, a prestigious program um, in college basketball history, won a national championship. Um, Third overall pick, not, he was a rookie of the year, but like pretty darn close. I think he was second that year or something like that in voting. Um, Obviously, at his peak was 
probably one of the most like you could you could drop him in any era and it'd be like yeah he would be able to hold his own mm-hmm. he would be able to be Marcus Johnson um obviously being a point forward the first of its kind that's kind of it's not just a Marcus Johnson thing it's a Don Nelson thing too but like that revolutionized the game in a way that you know <laughs> the Bucks have benefited in many different eras <laughs> um most notably with a guy like Giannis but I'm trying to think for for people maybe who unlike us haven't really dived into books history, who weren't around at the time, or maybe haven't even watched a lot of Marcus um, footage from over the years. I'm not talking game here, but for to go recent NBA history, who would you go to as a as a comparison for maybe profile or even standing in the league among other stars? Someone like, someone like it's maybe just a little too high then at its peak. I was kind of thinking maybe like Mellow with the Knicks, like in terms of standing within, but then Mellow's Mellow had powerful friends that maybe <laughs> inflated his name and his reputation around the league at that time. Uh, but it, it's uh, like Marcus Dan, he's not like it's not like a DeMar DeRozan star, he was above that too. I'm just trying to think of a a comp for people to give a sense of Few some of the other of, players that when their their case comes around, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, they should get in. And you're like, yeah, but in their era, they were, they're great, but they're, they're kind of an in-between case still, which is the challenge he's having kind of year in, year out. Though. Yeah. Like Paul George came to mind for that's, some reason. That's a good example for sure. Jalen Brown, like a, Fully realized Jalen Brown. Let's let's the leave thing, that one out for now. Yeah, that, I know that you love the Celtics, Jordan. Paul George <laughs> is a is a really good case. Um, I still and, think though, Marcus he played with like a very like. If you watch like old Marcus clips, especially like early Bucks when they're like, he's his his war um, then and his war now uh, war went above announcing replacements um it was high because he was very just like he's this polished player that can do anything he could he just played with this force that just is like it's it it was totally different than what the bucks had previously michael jordan's Um, famous player as everyone now knows but used to be a little until uh the last dance that was that was highlighted I, I, I wasn't talking even really about him, though, as a player and making those comparisons. But I think Paul George is a good one. Paul George has seven all-star appearances, but only one all-NBA first team. Um, five third teams, which weren't around in Marcus Johnson's day. So at that time, you'd be comparing Paul George at this point in his career as a a single all-NBA team guy, um, as opposed to what Marcus has done. But there's, a, there's some similarities there. And certainly, like the peak of Paul George's powers pre-injury too with the with the Pacers and also that being a not dissimilar franchise to the books and those Pacers where it's like small market team that really started to make noise at the top of the Eastern Conference couldn't get over the hill. I I like that one a lot. I think you you hit the nail on the head there, Jordan. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, <laughs> let's go to the books-related figures who did get in. To the trifecta. Let's work chronologically because that puts the worst off till last. Um, Larry Costello, 
very important figure for you and I. More on that in a, you know, a year yet to be named. <laughs> um, <laughs> the original books coach, the coach of the 1971 NBA champions, the coach of the 1974 NBA finalists, and a pretty revolutionary figure in and underappreciated up until this point, and that is reflected in how he got in, in NBA history and in the history of coaching kind of at that time in the 70s in the NBA, but one of the most important figures in Milwaukee Bucks history because if Larry Costello is not your first coach, if he is not the person who shepherds the team true close to their first decade, just under that, the books may not exist. It's it's one of those. There are many kind of key people who factor into that discussion, but he is certainly someone. It's like if you got the coach wrong or if you had uh, maybe owners who were cycling true coaches and approach things in a different way, you don't get the stability that Costello gave and kind of not to not to bring it to where we are now or to bring in the, the Miami heat of it all, but to actually build something of a culture to have a set idea in place of what the books were and for a key part of that set identity to be, Oh yeah, the books are really good. Like that goes down to Costello and considering he was drafted right in the expansion draft by the books as a player, he was playing the year before the books came into existence. They took him in the expansion draft. They made him head coach. Like that's, that's how he begins and to hit the ground running as a very, very young coach. Um, he was 37 years old at the time. And I think in some ways that feels even more remarkable in that era than it does now to go in and have the kind of command over that locker room that he had, and not just from the beginning, but you know, a couple of years into that journey when he is surrounded by megastars, absolute NBA megastars. So from a book's perspective, I mean... There's competition. There's many ways you can go when you talk about who's the greatest coach in franchise history. And obviously Bud is building a very, very strong case at the moment that's ongoing and will give him a chance to, you know, just make that title his own if he wants it. But it was great when Don Nelson got in because Don Nelson is certainly in the mix for just the consistent excellence that he brought about with the books in his time there and another real kind of innovator, one of the most innovative coaches in the history of the league. But to get Larry Costello in there is fantastic, long overdue. He was inducted as a contributor. Um, ultimately, it doesn't matter. He's a Hall of Famer. No. That's yeah. how it works. Uh, I The only downside of it, and I know it's a conversation we've had about lots of things before, like Costello died in 2001, 70 years of age. His place in the game was kind of long assured and should have been at that point where he had a real chance to actually get in kind of in a more traditional way. I guess he's probably hurt by the fact that his NBA career fizzles out like almost immediately after his time with the books, which is also, you know, something for another day, but very difficult to imagine that happening right now for a coach to have, I think of someone, it'd be like, it'd be like say Quinn Snyder with the jazz if Quinn Snyder had won a championship and got to a finals, having a run like he has, and then that comes to an end, you very briefly see him and then he's gone from the NBA forever, that would be very difficult to imagine. Um, 
maybe that hurt his legacy, but ultimately the fact that he's in now is real cause for celebration. Yeah. Um, at the time, I think he still has the 10th highest uh, winning percentage in postseason history, which, I mean, yes, it comes with Korean teams, but you still win games and you're playing against the top tier teams. It's a different NBA than what we're used to now. Um, and he like he coached those teams like they were very identifiably playing in his image like i think that's something that's easy for people now to particularly with some of the changes that we have seen or some of the coaches we've seen come to the fore um where superstars handpick a coach and it's like is it just is it just catered to you know we're gonna be nice to you and we're gonna play the way you play and it's gonna be your team like that is not what costello did in terms of catering to kareem and oscar and dandridge no (laughs) not at all um i mean the other thing too it's i we've written about i think talked about it briefly but also wasn't the he was not the first choice of the bucks famously Mm -hmm. they uh as lore has it they chased al mcguire um it's more than even lore i mean there's yeah there's concrete reporting and sourcing around that um they yeah. very much wanted to take al mcguire from they wanted a vince lombardi type which al mcguire would have definitely fit that uh to a t at that time um but it turns out their castello is exactly what they needed to kind of establish themselves have a brand have an identity and the thing, too, I think you kind of go through themes of that era and stuff like that, and it's not surprising to see his induction come overdue and unfortunately past his when he was actually alive. Um, he was not respected at the time because it was mm-hmm. very much, hey, Kareem's on that team. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> like, I mean, all also- the credit went to the players rather than him. Also, for people not familiar, uh, not a happy-go-lucky character. No. Like, definitely someone who would have rustled some feathers, rubbed some people up the wrong way, and even amongst his peers at the time, maybe not the most easily liked figure. Which is Because he was so competitive. And yeah, it's saying something particularly in that era. Yeah. I mean, the other thing with him going in as a contributor, because obviously we're always going to focus on Cassell, the coach, because that's what matters in the book sense. He was a six-time All-Star as a player. Um, yeah, he had a very good NBA champion with the uh, Sixers and seven or sixty-seven. Sixty-seven, right? Which also, in the space of four years, like think of that now. Uh, to win yeah. a championship as a player and then win a championship as a coach, I don't know if that has ever happened since. I'm trying to think like Russell, Russell, probably. Yeah, Russell. Again, it's that's not bad company to be in, though. No, no. <laughs> um, it would be like it's like I think the closest equivalent would be like Steve Kerr going from. I mean, Steve Kerr retired like two. Of course, of course, Russell uh, won two as a player coach, which is yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. No, that yeah, it's. It's nice to see. It's very nice to see. And it's, you know, again, um, hopefully it's, it's one of those things too, when it comes to the hall of fame and it's about 
NBA history because we can't talk about NBA history without it being centered around the Hall of Fame because they're that's neither here nor there. But the NBA's history is just kind of like scattershot. Um, but it just feels like the only case for like talking about NBA history, it's like, oh, this guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. It's, and I won that. It's why the Hall of Fame is great in spite of being terrible. Because yeah. Like you and I could do this, and you and I do do this all the time, and we would one way or another have multiple episodes a year on this kind of stuff. But it it never enters the wider basketball fan conversation, which it sucks. It's a pity. I mean, it goes to it goes to things I've said on the podcast in recent months on various different subjects. Like the only reason Giannis hitting that tree has any more resonance than being like a light treat send a game to overtime, which, yeah, sure, that's a cool moment, but that's pretty disposable. We would all forget about that if it's not for the fact that it makes him the all-time leading scorer, and if it's not for the fact that he's passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and as you did all the groundwork for, that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar passed Johnny Mack before that in the very early history of the franchise, like... It's, it's the lineage. It's the history that makes all of the moments in the now matter. It's like the Bucks winning a championship. Sure, it's great to just win a championship, but it also matters because there's 50 years since you last did it. And there's all the trying and there's all the teams and all the great players that everyone's seen come and go between that. So this is the stuff that like any professional sport, any, any sports league in particular, like they're built on its history, not just in a, oh, you know, we're not here at this point and the players couldn't be making what they make now if it wasn't for this before. But they are literally built on it in terms of making it matter, in terms of giving context, in terms of giving fans something to root for, in terms of being able to understand, well, you know, like if, it, if it's all just in the now and there's no real context, like, well, is Greg Popovich a good coach? Would he have a job? You know, it's that's like a, a pretty extreme example, but it's like, it's where you can't just think about this moment and what happened last year and what's happening right now, what might happen next year. It's like the span of the NBA is so much greater than that. Uh, On Costello, before we move on to the others, the books need to honor Costello in a real way. He is the coach. I mean, I'm a massive fan of what Don Nelson did with the books. And I think Nelson has certainly uh, his resume will, will speak for him. He probably has a case case for being a greater coach overall. Um, Costello should probably have a banner or dare I say like a statue, you know, there's, he is a absolutely core foundational figure in this franchise. You don't get that higher, right. Or if he doesn't come in and take care of business in the way that he did again, like no guarantees that the Milwaukee books still exist or are located in Milwaukee to this day. That's how crucial he is. And if you asked every Bucks fan going into the building on a game day, who's Larry Costello? What percentage do you think are going to know? Um, people of a certain age. Which yeah, is I mean, grim because grim. he's one of two coaches to win a championship for the franchise. And it's not, I mean, you've got to celebrate. Still, it's, it, Bucks have been around for 54 years. That's, I mean, there are people that have watched from the first game yeah, to to now. to now yeah and it, that's i mean it's almost a lifetime in some regards but like 
you can still go from point A to point Z and be like, that's what happened in between. And the problem with that is if you don't, if you don't at this point, this is this is getting very meta into conversations you and I have had for other reasons offline. But if you don't <laughs> at this point decide to celebrate it and memorialize it and really make it count and be like, this is our history, this is what matters. 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now, those people you mentioned who are of a certain age and who are going to games, who remember who like so is, they'll be gone. And then you're just left with, do you know who Larry Costello is? And you're getting like 90% of books fans being like, nope, don't know who that is. You know, so you've got you've to make sure that that's kept alive, passed on from one generation to the other. He is of all the coaches in franchise history, of all the coaches we're going to talk about now, he is the one that matters. Like, he is the one yes. whose work, whose and, resume. And he's, and as we talk, he's kind of unsung generally in an NBA sense. And it's taken this long. So, that happens. That's fine. But the one people who can rectify that and be like, well, we're not going to forget what Larry Costello did. We're going to make noise about it is the books. And as they have done on countless, countless ways over the years, they fail, fail across different ownership groups now on adequately celebrating and keeping their own history alive. There was a time that they would do it. It would have been under her Cole, someone who Almost, but you know what I mean? Like the guy Herb that Call is, was around for a long time though, and it didn't happen. Well, that's what I'm saying is that like he owned the team for 30 years. He's from Milwaukee. He almost had the team from the beginning. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's a knock on Herb Call that, yeah. I mean, jerseys were retired for fun in that, that spell. And there's not too many people where I'm like, oh, that's completely undeserving. Although we now reach the point where we've got another great team coming around and you look up at the rafters, you're like, there's quite a few jerseys up there. And then that gives someone like Ty Windish, you know, it gives them cause to be like, Pat Connaughton, his jersey's going to be retired. Which is like, fine, if that's the way you want to be as a franchise, I prefer that to the opposite because it is ensuring that the history of the team lives on. Yeah. Like, so if the alternative is not retiring anyone's jersey, which I know there are people who feel that's how it should be done. If you're going to do that, you've got to have a much better system in place that remembers and educates fans about the players who've mattered all along. The books don't have any of that. Like no. in some ways, they just put the jerseys up in the rafters. They're like, oh, well, that's that taken care that's of. Done. And it's it's leaving so much out there. Um, yeah. The, the other thing too, not to, I know we're kind of fishing about Costello, but without Costello, there is no Don Nelson being the coach of the Bucks. There's yeah. no, I mean, he started, it's not even just that. Hubie Brown was assistant coach for him the from like 72 to 74 uh tom nosalki um went on to be mb era aba coach and i believe in the nba too like he also and hubie brown I, I have heard hubie brown on broadcasts talk about the importance mm-hmm. of Costello and how great he was and although it was very brief i maybe the only thing i enjoyed on the abc uh broadcast of books mavericks was Jeff Van Gundy mentioning how when he was in college, right? That's Costello was the coach at Utica. He Utica? would have been in college. Yep. Van Gundy? No, Van Gundy wasn't playing then, was he? I suppose early 80s, possibly. Um, but yeah, he talked about Costello and I was like, oh, you know, just anything like that is great because he's not someone that gets that kind of attention often enough. So anytime someone like that can just drop his name, drop a, a very brief anecdote, that's great. But 
Yeah, and to your point without Cassell, there's no Don Nelson. Del Harris also inducted into the Hall of Fame. He followed up Don Nelson. He was an assistant to Don Nelson for the vast majority of Nelson's time in Milwaukee. Um, I feel like all but two or three years. Um, and with Costello inducted, with Nelson already there, with Del Harris inducted, the first three coaches in books history are in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yep. And that is significant because that is a true story of how the franchise exists to this day. Once again, it's like, it, it's very, very rare. It's, it's uncommon for an expansion franchise to have the kind of success the books managed to get, which you could say, oh, that's luck. It's literally luck. They won a coin toss and they got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> right? But Kareem leaves and that, that luck has run out. You know, that yeah. can all go wrong. So organizationally, um, they they also uh, they got lucky across multiple owners because they, in a relative sense, they had frequent ownership change in the, the early-ish history. But good ownership decisions, good basketball operations decisions, great coaching decisions. And actually, more than anything else, they picked coaches and it, it became maybe more central by the time Nelson was there, where Nelson was a little bit do-it-all. He was obviously such a large personality that it would be impossible to make any decisions around the books that he wasn't having a kind of pretty decisive role in. Um, but Del Harris getting in two gives you this massive span of time where the books only ever had Hall of Fame coaches. And that is reflective in how they were a juggernaut from almost inception true to the point where you know the franchise drove right off the cliff but by the time del harris is gone it gets really ugly um until someone else will get to in a while but for del harris um harris is always an interesting one i always found this when we'd do our books history month which we would do annually at behind the book pass when you and i were there and i, I guess that's really what sparked um our mutual passion for diving deep into the history of the franchise and just trying to make sure it lives on and people get to know about it or read some stuff and go, oh, that's a cool story. Hadn't heard of that before. Harris is really interesting though because the eye will naturally be drawn to Costello, to Don Nelson and to their achievements. But Don Nelson was such a towering figure for the books that with the team aging, it would be very easy for things to have gone much worse immediately than they did when Nelson left like sure you could make the case oh look well Harris was part of that coaching staff so it's not really as drastic a regime change you opt for continuity and that works out that doesn't always work out in sports the idea of oh well that was a great coach let's just give his assistant the job and it will all keep on going not always the case Um, and Del Harris did a really good job bringing the books right up to the point of transition, you know? Um, And what went after was not really tied to anything he did. Um, I I think he did the best possible job you could do in that era of books basketball to keep, keep the team good and to reshape how they were playing on the floor as guys started to retire, guys started to be traded, new players started to come into the mix. It's, it's a funny era of books basketball where good players and important players in franchise history 
start to kind of cycle in as others are cycling out and you get this kind of strange cross where I often find myself doing a double take at the idea that some players played with certain other players because they feel like they're of two different times um, when you think of the books. Um, I mean, examples of that, guys like, I guess, Alvin Robertson, uh, Jack Sigma, people like that kind of coming true, which, <laughs> yeah. which really signals a completely different version of the books. But Harris is overseeing that transition from the Moncrief, Pressy teams and obviously Cummings role then in the latter part of the decade too, like that kind of ver- version of the books in real time. And he managed to, you know, keep them as a playoff team and to be really competitive, put up good records, not what they once were, which is not a knock. You can't just be continuously 50-win team like they were in a real golden era under Nelson. Um, but his, his second season, I think he got them back up to around 49. They were knocking right around that. They lost in the conference semifinals. They were first round outs other than that, but you've also got to remember the thing for Harris and the job he was doing is if you compare it to Nelson, this actually is going to feed into the one mailbag question we've got because uh, someone with, you know, executive powers has crashed in and <laughs> planted a mailbag question in an episode where we weren't doing a mailbag. We'll get to that though. But the thing for Del Harris is the division looked a little different by the time he was books coach than it looked like for a lot of Nelson's time. Because you don't just have an ascendant Bulls behind Michael Jordan. You don't just have an ascendant Pistons behind Isaiah Thomas. You have like the fully formed versions of those teams on the scene. So to remain a very good team um, was tough because of your schedule. Like for Harris's years, I'm looking at right now, the books finished fourth in the Central Division, fourth in the Central Division, third in the Central Division, and third in the Central Division. So to be a consistent playoff team in spite of that is a real achievement because at that time to be a books coach, you were playing a lot of games against the absolute best teams in the NBA. Yeah. Pacers too were also on the come up Mm -hmm. looking around that time too. So it was like, and the Cavs, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've got the the Mark Price Cavs is kind of early nineties. That's yeah. The latter point too. So the division was just brutal. As strong as it could be. Um, yeah, it's very. He, Dell Harris, probably like wrenched ever, like the last ounce of that time that he could. And um, probably, I mean, you don't, like, as you said, you don't have that cornerstone guy like a city Moncrief. even you don't have paul presley you don't have terry well you had paul presley but an older paul presley terry cummings traded for alvin robertson like you're trying to find that kind of cornerstone constant that nelson had with i mean frankly multiple players um but you know to no avail and <clears throat> i mean he coached previously at the rockets i think went to nba finals with them if I remember correctly. Um, I mean... Yeah, he did. He was, he was at the finals as a Rockets coach in 81. And then obviously later in his career, he becomes the Lakers coach. And he was yes, yeah. got to the conference finals with the Lakers in 98. Um, 
which we know yeah. what happened to the Lakers after that. <laughs> but I, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think people reflect well on that era, or it doesn't like the further you go away from it, where you're, you're seeing it like as a dying era and then the start of like the wasteland that the Bucks had to navigate through for pretty much the whole 90s. But if you think about it in the context of how he came in, obviously a huge rift between Nelson and Herb Cole um, and just kind of piloting the ship as well as he could. And I mean, his son, Larry Harris, was the uh, former GM during the 2000s, mm-hmm. mid-2000s. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ties between the Bucks in that sense, too. So, yeah. very Also, also interesting, the Don Nelson Jr., Larry Harris, like the lineage out of those two Bucks coaches into being notable executives for, for Spell, more so definitely in Don Nelson Jr.'s case. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, one thing I think is is an interesting way to frame Del Harris through no fault of his own, I think Del Harris sparks off a lot of the terrible book stuff to come because he is Herb Cole's first hire. Herb Cole buys the team in 85. Nelson is already to coach. Nelson, it's his franchise. And obviously that was a problem down the line and it leads to, to Nelson moving on. Cole decides to stick with Del Harris, he gets promoted. But when you look at the job that Del Harris did with the books, and well, he did, he literally did what Cole just came to assume and chase for the remainder of his time, which is like, oh, well, we can just find a way to be competitive. Like, we now talk about a lot of the Herb Cole era as the eight seed or bust mentality. I, I do think there's a case where that part of that is born out of the fact the team wasn't built for that at the time Del Harris was there, but he was able to shepherd and continue kind of playoff basketball to keep the books as a really relevant, successful team at the tail end of something where I, I feel like that may have set some expectations or some vision of ownership for Herb Cole that we then see fall apart with terrible coaching hires in the aftermath of Del Harris and just, you know, I mean, bad basketball decisions, personnel decisions that are fueled by that mentality. But I, I do think that's an interesting thing because Harris was such an accomplished coach. And also, to be fair, the players, they may have been getting older in some cases, but they were better and they were doing a good job with bringing in legitimately talented young blood. Still, Harris set a kind of a, a standard that I think Cole believed. Oh, well, you know, at minimum, we can just be we can be the team that gets to the playoffs and we give ourselves a chance where that is not the case unless you have a coach like Del Harris and some of the players that he managed to have at that time. Yeah, and he followed that model of coach, GM, or front office responsibilities, because I think his title is like vice president of basketball operations. Some title under basketball operations. Mm-hmm. Um, he followed that with Mike Dunleavy. That was a huge hire. I know, I know. That sounds ridiculous now, but that no, was I know. Huge. George Carl. Who else was in the mix at that time? I've now just they they went hunting for someone big uh when they you 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 can keep going there and I'll try to find this. I remember there was an alternate when Dunleavy. Oh, there was, yeah, there was. Oh man. 
You keep you you can run try, through your yeah. coaches there. I'm about to find it here in an article written by a fellow by the name of Jordan Tresky. So you just keep oh. going. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean that that's that's you think that's how it runs when Don Nelson is your coach, Dell Harris is your coach, and it works reasonably well. Maybe not as you know leads to a championship, but you're a successful NBA franchise, and you know fans are coming to the games. You have you know you're doing what it takes to survive as a small market team. Um, but it's things were ra- rapidly changing um, during that course of NBA history that, you know, you can only do that with guys like Dell Harris and Don Nelson. You can't do that with non hall of fame coaches <laughs> that have had successful coaches elsewhere. Um, yeah, for sure. I can't, I can't find on the spot exactly what it was, but I mean, the the lineage and the story, again, I'm going to trust this guy, Jordan Tresky, who seems to have written a very well-sourced article back in 2018. Um, Levy was taken away from Del Harris's staff to go and coach with the Lakers. And Cole was not very happy about this because he had him circled as, this is the next head coach. And then... Dunleavy ends up taking over for Pat Riley with the Lakers. And this only further in Cole's mind solidifies him as this is the guy. Look. And then when the opportunity came up again to go get Mike Dunleavy, Herb Cole was not messing around. But there was, I know I'll I'll find it. If I find it, I'll tweet it out. But there was another, there was a high profile name in the mix around the time that Del Harris. They were as as the books have done multiple times, not always the most conventional high profile name. They go hunting though with someone. Often it can be a name who's uh, particularly relevant, like Al McGuire is a strong example in in a local sense and in the college basketball sense. But there is it will come back to me. Um, okay, I'm gonna let you do a lot of the talking here. George Carl was also inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Big moment for Furious George. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure he's very happy about it, and I'm sure there are a lot of players around the NBA who are maybe less happy about it. You know, he certainly left quite a pad of destruction in his wake on on route to that Hall of Fame career. Look, to be to be serious about it, George Carl is one of the to use the terrible term winningest. He is one of the winningest coaches <laughs> in NBA history. Um, that was in the news recently as Greg Popovich ascended to top spot on that list. But George Carl's place as a great NBA coach is assured. Uh, he's also someone who he never won a championship. No, which it's it's not a knock I like to put on someone, but he coached good teams. He coached teams very well for a long period of three time. decades. Yes. He only missed the playoffs five times in his coaching career, which is remarkable. One of which was with the Kings, right? Two of which. Two of which, yeah. I mean, one of those he took over midseason, so not not maybe fair to pin on him. But another one of those missed playoffs, of course, uh, was his his follow-up to his Milwaukee high point where yeah. they go to the conference finals and the next year they're a 500 team and they miss the playoffs, which 
look, is there some bad luck in missing the playoffs as a 500 team? Sure. Um, should you be a 52-win team who makes the conference finals and goes really, really close to getting to the finals one year and miss the playoffs the next year? No, you absolutely should not. Um, there's something now when you look at the trajectory of that Bucks team, it's a little bit, you know, current Lakers. Just going to put that out there. There's some similarities there. Um, but look, an, an all-time great NBA regular season coach, but I do wonder what, where, where is his legacy? Seattle? Like what, what mm. fan base is like, because he, he did great stuff at basically all places he's been with the exception of early in his career with Cleveland and Golden State. And then obviously Sacramento to finish it. But if you go Seattle, Milwaukee, Denver. Some really great highs in there. And then also some moments where you're like, mm, this isn't great. Like maybe Denver is the place where he kept it together best. And I, I remember it kind of being shocking when his time with the Nuggets came to an end. But I, I don't, that's the thing with Carl. I just, and I always think that speaks of something of a coach. It's like, yes. what fan base is like just dying to embrace George Carl and be like, ah, oh, George Carl, those were the days. What a guy. It's especially, that's an interesting question and the way to frame it even more so because one of those teams that you mentioned does not have an NBA team anymore. I, th- part, I think that's where he's probably best remembered. The place where they're, they're most positioned to be like, oh, remember the good old days and to gloss over any kind of bad elements. It's the place where there's no longer a team. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you'd be re- reminiscent about, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had George Carl back coaching at NBA team if you're a basketball fan in Seattle? And he, I mean, to my knowledge and to how that team dissolved and the Sean Ken trade, I don't think he was a central reason why that happened, but like, and how that championship or championship caliber team. Listen, um, we, we've seen, we've seen how he was involved in trades that literally tanked the franchise um, immediately after that. Also involving Seattle. Yes. Was he a sleeper agent? Who can say? <laughs> he was hired hired by Howard Schultz. Um, oh, let's not let's not go there. Yeah. Um, no, that's the that's the. <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen, okay? We're going we're going there for a second. Have you seen how Howard Schultz is trying to bust uh, the union with the Starbucks workers? You see this yesterday? No, he's, he is. No, but did you see <laughs> how? No, 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 no. Getting into NFTs. NFTs is the answer for, for him as how, you know, we're going to make it work for these people. Of course. NFTs. Anyway. Yeah. Um, no, it's just funny because I, that is, it is going to be, I am fascinated. I am fascinated by how the next few months will be with George Carl and. Felicity Tour. Oh. Who's, yeah. who's enshrining him? Boogie? Ray Allen, Andre Iguodala. I, I am actually joking, but who is I am, who is I am going very, to George Carl? It's got to be I'm, a coach, but then it's got to be a coach. But it wouldn't be. I'm trying to think of like his. I can't even think of like who 
who's going to go out on that limb? Because I I know it seems like ancient history now, but when he wrote that book, when he wrote that book, it sent... It's a fun Twitter moment for a few days. Yes. Um, it read like a guy who knew he was not going to get an NBA job of any capacity at no longer. It read like George Carl. It read like, it read I, like I don't think George but, Carl could write a book and have it be any other way, which in that regard, you know, I respect him for always being himself. That's he was true to himself as a coach, he was true to himself when it came time to write a book. Yeah. Um I look, this is I you I know you were relishing the opportunity for us to talk about George Carl because you know that this is a subject that gets me a little fired up. I hope uh, books fans are in a position where they can just move past any kind of deifying George Carl in that era of the team. It's no, something that I, bothered me I because when I came in and was all of a sudden, oh, here's this fan base and trying to get acquainted with everything. And that team was talked about with so much love because there'd be nothing else. And I get that. Yes. Um, but occasionally you still see like, some fans, maybe a little bit older, who that was a certain a primary of their fandom for them, and they'd be like, George Carl now, he knew how to coach. And my eyebrows like raise all the way up and off the back of my head because he did, like, you know, there's no doubt he knows basketball. No he is up there as one of the all-time great, like, mismanagers of player-coach relationships in the NBA. And with his coaching skill set, if he was even just like neutral in that regard, yeah, he's probably a guy who could have had multiple championships and would have had players like rave about him for years. And when you look at like where he stands in the all time wins, look at the co- coaches around them, and all of those coaches would have no shortage of legendary players queuing up to talk about how great they are how much time they have for that person, how important that coach was. And it's like, try to think of the guys who do that for George Carl. It's just like crickets. It's, it just doesn't happen. And that's, that's sad. Like that sucks. I don't like that. That's, but it's like a defining characteristic. Yeah, of... He's he's made his bed and he has to lie in it is at the same time. Right. Like that's part of his legacy. And it's seen more clearly than most places in Milwaukee because he did not build a great books team. There was not a great era. There was one year. There was one year, and he was absolutely the central figure in tanking it, tearing it apart before it had a chance to be something more than that. Like part of the reason why there's a 50-year wait, or just part of the reason why you end up with a long playoff drought that we in our era of podcasting with the team, we only got to see or just before we podcasted. As we mentioned at the top, that the reason that Jared Bayless moment was important, and that was in our intro was because George Carl lit the whole thing on fire on his way out, and he doomed the franchise for the best part of a decade. Many other people came along and did not help with their decision-making since. Uh, the Herb Cole eight-seater bus mindset we've already touched on did not help. But George Carl did a ton of damage there. He was the driving force in the deal that sent Ray Allen Seattle that brought Gary Payton back. And... What did, what did it amount to? It amounted to legitimately the books fighting for their life as a franchise and it coming as close as it did to the books leaving Milwaukee. And that years later, we can be like, wow, isn't that incredible? 
look at the scenes of the Deer District from last year. This team was fighting for its life in the city and it managed to stay and managed to build a new arena. And years later, this is what you've got. The hole only got as deep as it did because of the way George Hill blew up what should have been the next great dawning of Bucks basketball. Incredible. What a, what a remarkable figure in the history of the franchise. To your point that you made earlier um, about you know Larry Costello, once his time with the Bucks ends, he only coached the Bulls for like 56 games and left. They, he resigned and coached the Milwaukee Does the, that played the first women's basketball game in uh, history. Uh, in the United States, I should say. He, George Carl had multiple shots at being a coach elsewhere. And you could say, that guy's a, a successful head coach. Yeah, he maybe maybe bristled along the way with, you know, star players and strong every, personalities. Every star like player that. he ever had. Every. Every, it's like, it's incredible. It's like, if you want to work backwards and you're like, he did an amazing job with the Nuggets. I actually, I really enjoyed watching his Nuggets teams. That was at a point where I was really getting much more serious about the NBA getting into it. And I love those teams. Um, I would go as far as to say that if I remember playing like, he was NBA Live at that point, playing with the Nuggets yeah. all the time. And I would go as far as to say is that if Nuggets games didn't start at 3 a.m. for me most of the time, there was a very good chance that I could have been a Denver Nuggets fan because I enjoyed those teams. They were a lot of fun. How did those teams come about, though? Those teams came about because Carmelo Anthony had to play under George Carl, and that explodes, just like it did with Ray Allen. Kenyon Martin. It's just, right. it's unbelievable. Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> it's this dichotomy that you have to walk around. Of like, he's accept- they named the 15 best NBA coaches in history during the... 75th anniversary celebration at All-Star Week and George Carl was not among them. Probably the biggest coach to not be among that. Like Doc Rivers list. was. And that... There's, there is no case that, that George Carl is a better basketball coach than Doc Rivers. But Doc Rivers has. Now, he has had his issues with players too, but he has also had like a history of guys liking him and not helping to elevate a team. And like, he has that, that championship team. team. Yeah, yeah, because he got... Um, like. That's just a great example of like, let's drop George Carl into a random situation, a really good Celtic team with three excellent players. What happens if instead of Doc Rivers, George Carl is given Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, which, oh, okay, maybe that's, that's going to bias this somewhat, and Paul Pierce and Rajon Rondo there too. And it's like, manage a locker room like that. He's just going to opt out. The, the guys are going to be traded and it's going to be like, we'll build a different team and we'll win 45 to 50 games and everyone will be like, oh, George, what a coach you are. But he was never able to make the coaching sacrifices, which come to ego, you know, and whose ego you're going to allow to take the front. That seemed like a sacrifice he never made in his career. And as a result, he finished without a championship ring in spite of how how good he was as a coach, in spite of his ability for building teams. I just it's, it's a really too. interesting case. And it's one that just bothers me because it's clearly someone immensely, immensely talented, gifted as a coach, so knowledgeable, and yet just could not get out of his own way. Like, he's literally limited what he could have achieved. He's a guy who, he already has the wins. Like, if you step out of him in lots of other ways, he could be a guy where it's like, oh, he might be the greatest coach ever. 
he will never factor into that decision. And it's in large part because of the decisions he made along the way throughout his career. Yeah. George yeah. Carl. Congratulations. Another books coach <laughs> inducted into the basketball hall of fame. Um, Bud is well on track to getting there someday. Um, certainly from even what he had done with the Hawks before that, obviously his long spell in the, the glory years on Pop's bench in San Antonio. And now having won an NBA championship for himself, um, having coached one of the all-time great players and who knows, uh, certainly right now and with stuff we've seen from Giannis in recent weeks, now the books are trending, I don't think any of us are going to go out on a limb and be like, yeah, he's only going to get one championship with this team either. So... We have that to look forward to way down the line. Um, but if you look at the other coaches in franchise history. Well, that's the other thing. I, is there another, we talk about all these names. It's going to be a while until the Bucks have some someone else that goes to the Hall of Fame. That isn't no, because like, you're going to have to drought. Yeah, for sure. Like, So this is where it's even more important to like see a guy like Marcus Johnson not have to wait anymore because it's like, you can claim three games of Pau Gasol's career. <laughs> you, you have that, that graphic that uh Pau's next year, right? That's that's someone else who'd be next year. Yeah, Pau will be next year. No, no, year after it's because all, of the it's all, because, yeah, and, Bucks, and then also he didn't Blazers retire. Too. Yeah, and in Europe. So Pau's yeah, actually Pau. probably quite a way off. Um Pau will wholeheartedly, when it comes to be his moment, he will stand up on stage and he'll probably speak for like three minutes about Milwaukee and about the books and how special a place it was and a great time in his career. And everyone will be like, what? Pau played for the books? Including books fans. Uh, but uh, just that's Pau Gasol and how I mean, he is. Beautiful, uh, heartfelt tweet of congratulations from him to Giannis last week. Like, what a man. <laughs> he's one of your favorites, Jordan. Like, of he is. The... He's just, he's very... You can't say anything bad. He's just this very full-hearted person that seems very wholesome and very uh, uh, a lot of gratitude all the way around. And a very good basketball player, too. So that certainly helps. I, yeah. I actually, he might be, I'm trying to think of other like guys like that because we're, we're even, we're moving past where it's like you've got uh, Moses Malone, Adrian Dantley. Those guys are in. It's not gonna happen. It's not. It's time. not gonna happen. Like, Glenn Robinson is not getting in. Ray no. Allen is already in. Already in. Um, Gasol's no. Um, Red no. Bogut no. Here's one that I hadn't thought about until very recently. Could Jim Paschke have a chance as a contributor? I know that gets very tough, but as a long, long time broadcaster, maybe the profile just is there. Kurt Award, I think he won. He did. Or I might be misremembering that with. No, I, I, I think you're correct on that. But I mean, this does speak to the problem where I'm like. Could the recently retired longtime broadcaster get in? That's four time Emmy winner. Todd, I don't, yeah. The... Todd Harris Spirit Award winner. I'm not entirely sure I know what that is. 
That's an NBA award. I mean, that might be what we're looking to, though, like over the next decade, because there's just... Johnny Mack as a contributor? That's a tough one to sell, but... I don't, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't a contributor, because that's where, as a clip that I only... It was only circulating in the last week of him on a national broadcast. So he did some national stuff, longtime books broadcaster, NBA champion. Um, that's the kind of spot, though, contributors, where some outside stuff can kind of get factored in, too. And, of course, John McLaughlin's legacy and the most important part of it is the Mac Fund. So maybe? I don't know. But this is what we're... This is what we're... We're dealing with is, like, can... They got a broadcaster in because outside of Marcus, there are just not many players who are going to. I think there was, I'd have to bring it up because I think it was in Jim Ozarski's Hall of Fame piece. And uh, he had a quote from Bob Dandridge that said something about, like, at the end of it, it was something about, like, um, um, uh, they like to make Bucks players wait the Hall of Fame. Here, let me bring it up. This is from Sunday's edition of the Journal Sentinel. And he says, yeah, he's surely overdue. I don't know why they treat us Bucks players and coaches so bad. <laughs> they may just want to see how, how much patience we have. So surely Larry and Marcus are very much deserving of the honor. That's a great a Dandridge quote. Every Dandridge yeah. quote he's ever given is very much of that tone. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Let's let's hope it happens for Marcus. Uh, he's going to continue to be there. Maybe it's just something that after multiple years on people's ballots, the, there is a kind of okay, let's let's do it. If he keeps getting himself to be a finalist, which honestly has surprised me a little bit that he keeps getting so he's close enough. And mm-hmm. I'd also think he's just he's incredibly likable and popular figure around the wider community. Um, it's clear every time he's on a broadcast, just kind of his reach within the world of basketball, the people and at all levels of the game that he's still in contact with to this day. So it would be really, really nice if that was to happen, but let's, let's see, let's wait and see, hopefully not wait too much longer. Okay. Before we wrap up, I better answer this question sent to us uh, via, you know, not open for the public channels. I don't know if we should be taking questions that are not sent to us in the public domain. (laughs) Tali Windish asks the books are a win from clinching the central for the fourth straight season, which would tie with the Korean books for the second most times they've been division champs consecutively. The eighties books of course are in first with seven. Will the bud books catch them? So will the bud books who are about to end their fourth straight central. Could they win seven central division titles? So by 2025, The advantage that Bud has had is the Central Division has been absolutely diabolically bad. It's been a one-team division. The books are going to be in position to win the Central as long as Giannis is on the team. I mean, a lot of those teams are obviously... So the Cavs we've seen rise this year. Injuries have certainly slowed them down, but... Bulls? I'm sure. We'll get them a second. Uh, 
we'll be getting we'll be getting to them in a much reader sense very soon. They'll probably make yeah. me eat my words because I've been laughing at them for a couple of months now. Um, but the the Cavs are clearly ascending team with their young talent that I don't think anyone would dispute. Like, yeah, they're in a great position to build and be a consistently very good playoff team. Like, could be a playoff team five, six, seven years straight where it's just like, yeah, they're going to be in the mix. I think that's certainly on the table. Um, between Garland and Mobley for the Cavs, and that's without even considering like a healthy Sexton if he can be a factor or not. And a lot of the other moves, I, I just I love the moves they made at the roster, and they're also a team that I think will probably be able to attract some kind of you know some of the interesting value free agency flyers in the years to come. They're not going to attract superstars aside from maybe LeBron James if they manage to draft Bronny, but. I think they'll have some good players in the mix. Pistons K- Pacers are three Pistons. five years away. Mm-hmm. Kay Cunningham's Kay Cunningham's playing really well, looking really good. They they need more, but yeah. If you'd said to me a year or eighteen months ago that at this point I'd be talking about the Cavs are like they look ready to be a playoff team consistently, I would have said, get out of here. Troy Weaver has been stockpiling some assets. With the Pistons, it won't take much. Then being bad is not a bad thing. If you get if you get that pick right, and all of a sudden you got Cade Cunningham, and whether you decide to go and get him like an elite backcourt partner or a big, you whatever direction you want to go in that, yeah. and obviously depending where their pick ends up, that could turn quickly. Like the Cade looks good, so yeah, I I think that's but. To the point of, it's they're they're on the rise. Clearly, they have a franchise building block. To the point of being like winning division and you know being you know top four seed when they're well. Here's the court. thing, right? That's that's the thing. So that's that's why I feel as long as Giannis is with the books, the books are in pole position to do this. But yes. these teams are going to rise as other books are going to age unless there's drastic changes so a couple of years from now chris middleton's lost as a step or two obviously brooke lopez at that point will be right at the very end of his career if not even the books have had to move on and based based on how they've dealt with him in his absence and how they look like a very different team that is a major question one of the like in terms of a medium to long-term question it's one of the biggest ones hanging over this team. You can certainly project for Chris and Drew being able to maintain their levels for a little bit longer, but a key question for the books is how they're going to solve the center position. So for as great as Giannis is, you could have a point a couple of years from now where someone, they, they could meet in the middle. Like doesn't mean they'd beat the books in a series or anything, but a team like the Cavs who right now are super deep with young players, like they may be a better regular season team, a more consistent team than the books would necessarily be a couple of years from now. If Brooke is either really at the end of his career or gone. And if Drew and Chris aren't what they are right now, the Bulls, they're tough on the peg. Who can tell? They've already traded a lot of their picks. They've, they've gone not all in, but a lot of the way in on being a good team now. And they are a good team now, but they're certainly showing themselves to be a good team that has like 
a very definite and low ceiling at this point. So it will take some creativity to break out beyond that. And even their best, like guys like DeMar DeRozan, like not a guy with a lot of miles on the clock, not a young guy, uh, Nikola Vucevic being around quite a while. Like they're not, even Zach Levine, Zach Levine is not like a young prospect anymore. He's kind of, no, like, he's, he's prime years. So yeah, Bulls are not going to be better than the Bucks anytime soon. Because their team right now is not positioned to be to like just leap past the books, and they're not going to actually fall off any later than the books. If like if the books regress, I can see that Bulls team with its current personnel regressing in step. That's the thing. The, the if Bulls are. I mean, again, this is year one of kind of what they hope to be of a quality, competent basketball team where they have not been for a very long time now. Um, but they're on the same age range as the Bucks are, really. If you think about it, like DeMar's well in his 30s at this point. Probably 34, is he? He like might. I mean, he's probably actually older than we think, particularly given the fact he's having a great season. If anything, he might be like on no, the same age as Drew. He's 32, 33 in August. So, yeah. Um, Vooch, like that is an older team. Lonzo Ball's not, he's been in the league for a couple of years too. Like, not a star by any means, but a very quality role player whose name exceeds <laughs> um, far more than the high. That's the thing. The, the division, it's certainly on the rise. There are ascended teams. Um, Cavs more ready than Pacers or Pistons, but different phases of where they are at. Um, the division is going to get tougher, um, especially as the Bucks age out, but that's where... I still think they have a couple more years where they just kind of run wild um, and can probably match by 2025. I would say, yeah. yeah that the books are going to match it. Yeah, I agree. Because the Pacers, then, are the ones you mentioned, complete wild card. Who knows yeah. what they do. Who and they're not, nor- they're not a long rebuilding team either. They, they They've got are like more... Malcolm Brogdon, who's like 30 years old now. Yeah. Yeah, no, all fair. Um, all right. That does it for us. Different episode, change of pace. Change of pitch, maybe. Um <laughs> but a lot of fun. We we ended up in some territory that I think we particularly enjoy listening to or speaking about. I hope you enjoy listening to it. And yeah, maybe maybe if the books have failed you and knowing about some of those coaches, you know a little bit more now and you'll be eager to go and learn even more yourself. Um, that's that's always our goal. Every time we talk books history, we just we want, we want to keep it alive. Uh, someone's got to do it and mm-hmm. no one else has put their hand up. So Jordan and I have reluctantly decided to take the stage. Uh, until the next time. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're basically everywhere. You can follow us on Twitter at WinningNumerical6Podcast. Podcast. I'm at Adam McGee 11. Jordan's at Jordan Tresky. All your GSPN con- content, gspn.substack.com. Sign up to Substack. You'll get articles, podcasts, all that kind of straight to your inbox. 
And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Go subscribe and follow if you haven't already. Cruising for a Bruising, Brewers DSPN. I am recording a Milwaukee Brewers podcast tonight after the spring training finale. There'll be a season preview. Andrew and I are doing that'll be out tomorrow. So if you're getting excited for Thursday season opener, make sure you go hit subscribe and you'll have that waiting for you tomorrow. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.